Welcome to Deconstructing the Myth, a podcast exploring reasons why those who grew up in the American Evangelical Church are now leaving it behind. My guest today is Amanda Smith, who talks about how sexism in the church impacted her spirituality and her sense of personal safety within the church. She also gives us a glimpse into what it's like to be currently deconstructing. Thank you for being here, Amanda. I am really excited to have you, and I feel like I've kind of invaded your family because um, Dylan is related to me through marriage, and then his mm-hmm. wife, Maria, I interviewed her, and then now I'm interviewing you. Yes, <laughs> Because I found out you have similar um, insight, well, different insights, but have had a similar story of deconstruction. Mm-hmm. And so um, I also really wanted to thank you because everyone I've had on here has kind of mm-hmm. like been through the thick of the deconstruction you are really I feel like in the middle Mm -hmm. more than a lot of people are in the middle of um and would you say that's still true yeah yeah Mm -hmm. and so I just I I feel like for you to come on here is a much more vulnerable and brave place to be Mm -hmm. so thank you for being willing to do it um I think your story is really important Mm -hmm. for people to hear especially people who maybe feel like they haven't been through deconstruction or um haven't experience troubles in the church. Mm -hmm. Um, You definitely brought to light a lot of things for me. Could you just introduce yourself for our listeners? Tell us a little bit about your background and your spirituality. Yes, absolutely. So um, like you said, I'm Maria's sister. Um, I'm from originally from Colorado and I was born and raised there. And then um, the, I now live outside of Wichita, Kansas. And the reason why we're out here is because of my husband's family. Um, I'm a runner. I love to read. I work in refugee resettlement as a job. And um, I have my degree in Bible from Oklahoma Christian University. And I'm the mom of one son. So that's a little bit of background about me. Um, And before I go into some of my spiritual upbringing, I wanted to just talk briefly about the church uh, tradition that I and like my siblings grew up in because I feel like there's a lot of background that you need to know for some of the other things in my story to make sense. Um, Because while it is part of the Protestant tradition, um, non-denominational, there are some things about the Church of Christ that are different. Mm. So um, yeah, like I kind of mentioned, um, I grew up and... Uh, went to a Church of Christ University. I was um, there, you know, three times a week. It was my main social circle. Um, the Church of Christ is part of the Restoration Movement, which started in the like early 1800s. Um, as the name kind of suggests, the thought was that by reading the Bible, literally, especially the New Testament, you could restore the church to the original like what it was in the New Testament in the first century. Interesting. I had someone (laughs) mention this Mm -hmm. as a church that drove a church model. It wasn't, it was a non-denom, but they were trying to build it off that. Yes. So that's really interesting that you bring that up. mm -hmm. Okay. So, um, the main idea in the beginning was to unite Christians under the pattern of the New Testament church. And the thought is that, um, if you just read the New Testament, especially literally, then restoration is possible um, mm-hmm. through following the pattern and the literal reading. Um, there is a really popular acronym in the Church of Christ. It's C-E-N-I. And what it is, is you read the Bible and you do whatever is a command 
um, an example or a necessary inference. And so um, anything that isn't a literal, like spelled out instruction in the Bible can be very hard to introduce into a church. Um, Also in the Church of Christ, there's no central leadership. So like in the Catholic Church, there's the Pope and the Vatican. um, But because it's a non-denominational church, they're very independent. And so each church is led by a board of elders that's Mm. basically like nominated from within the church. And these elders um, govern everything that happens in the church, like down to, you know, if they have Sunday school classes or um, what goes on in worship, like who they hire, um, all of the decisions go to the elders and then their word goes from there. So this can be good and bad because since elders hold all the power, it's really hard if you don't have power in the church to have your voice heard Mm. by them. And then if there is something that the elders do that's wrong, it's very hard for there to be accountability. Because there's no one above them, right? Right, exactly. There's no one above them and um, there's no one to tell them, you know, if they're doing the right thing. So... It can, it can lead to some problems down yes. the road and I can go into that more, but that's yeah. just a brief background on the church of Christ and things that I think that are important to yeah. understand. So, well, and before we go on, so I've been kind of confused and this is actually helping me, um, because I remember Maria and Dylan said they went to a non-denominational church, but then I got kind of confused because, you know, I thought church of christ that's a denomination right Mm -hmm. so it's not in the sense that it's all localized is that correct even though they follow the same model you're saying you're saying there's not like an overarching denomination keeping track of things is that correct yeah that's correct there's no overarching it's um, just each individual church church. interesting i didn't realize this okay and the way that things are kept the same like from church to church is Number one, they are getting examples from the Bible, which is Mm. the same, but there's a strong like social aspect to it as well, where like, um, people keep other churches like quote unquote in check by if they do the wrong or the right things in their eyes. So you can be kind of like excommunicated in air quotes from the church of christ if you don't do things along the church of christ model okay but no there's no like governing board beside the elders interesting yeah okay all right that's gonna play in i think yeah (laughs) it definitely will so um so as far as my spiritual upbringing um my parents were first generation church of christ and part of our like family lore for a long time <laughs> was that they were first generation Christians. Interesting. But as I've grown up and I've realized more things about Christianity in general, I've realized that they weren't first generation Christians because mm. my um, both of them had like background in the Lutheran and the Methodist church, but they became like they became baptized under the Church of Christ when my siblings were really young. Okay. So something about the Church of Christ also is that they believe they're the one true church. Mm. So anyone else is not going to heaven or not saved. Yeah. So that was why they thought that they were the first Christians. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So even though like their parents were Lutheran and Methodist, they didn't recognize that as like true Christianity. Interesting. Yeah. So 
I, I also feel like I always have to put in like a disclaimer because, mm-hmm. um, since the church of Christ is so decentralized, there are some churches who don't believe that they're the one true Christians, okay. but I will say far and away, my experience with all the churches I've been to in yeah. my life, like that was the belief. Okay. Okay. So, um, church was like integral to my life. We were there two times on Sundays and on Wednesday evening for devotional, um, church youth group was like the main social group for me. Mm. And so I just what grew up like steeped in that environment. And to be honest, like I loved it. Mm. I loved the church. I wanted to be as involved with the church as possible. Um, I saw, I was taught that the church was like the main moral force in the world to make the world a better place. And that's always been like one of my core ethics is that, you know, you should try and make the world a better place around Mm -hmm. you. And so I saw the church as the way to do that. And that's why I wanted to be so involved. Um, but I became aware that I wasn't right. Mm -hmm. Like I wasn't right to be involved in the church. And the the way that I want to explain that is just it was such a social story around me that like, since I was a little girl, I couldn't be as involved in the church as the little boys were. Hmm. And this was just told to me like in so many unconscious ways, like never seeing women um, involved in the worship services, never seeing a woman say a prayer in church, never seeing a woman Hmm. pass communion, you know, One of my deepest desires as a little girl was to pass communion with my dad because Mm. I saw the little boys doing it with their dad all the time. That was one of the ways that they encouraged leadership in the young people, but that was just like not allowed for me. And the thing is, is I never asked to do that because I understood that the answer would be no. And sometimes mm. I wish I would have asked because I could have said, you know, well, I asked and no one said I could do it, but yeah. I felt like I didn't need to, you know, it was you just, knew. It, I knew what the answer would be. Yeah. And so I just had that like deep desire in me for a long time to like be more involved in like the active part of like church worship service. Um, I loved to sing. I, I was musical. I wanted to lead singing, um, but that was never an option for me because yeah. I never saw women doing that. And um, so I desperately wanted to be involved. I desperately loved the church. And that took me into college, like literally all through high school, all through college. I was trying to find ways that I could be more active in the church. And so I went to Oklahoma Christian University and Mm -hmm. I started there as a music major, but I quickly changed my major to Bible. And specifically, I got a degree in children's ministry because in the Church of Christ, one of the only ways women can have leadership is by teaching children. Um, And so I just, yeah, I just knew like this was my outlet, right? Like Mm, I could teach kids, you know, I could, I could do that. And so I wished that I could do a different major. Like I could do Bible, maybe preaching Mm. or like youth ministry, but even youth youth ministry. So youth ministry is not allowed for women because once 
a person becomes baptized in the Church of Christ, if they're male, they have more... Like, women are not allowed to teach baptized male world? children. So if like a, a 12-year-old? Like, if a 12-year-old oh boy gets baptized, then he has more leadership than a, a 45-year-old woman oh who's been baptized world. for, like, 30 years. Ooh, that messaging, yeah. like, what mm-hmm. message is that? Yeah, so I was Cindy. like, okay, I'll be a children's minister yeah. so that I can teach the kids, you know? Yeah. But in in college, like, I want to say my professors were, they were so um, encouraging to me. They were okay. the first people that were like, Amanda, you are great at theology. Like, look hmm. at your papers. They were like, this, you know, my sophomore year, I wrote an exegesis paper and my professor was like, this is the best one I've ever had. Like, I'm not, I'm like not trying to toot my own horn. I'm just saying like, I loved my Bible classes. I loved my exegesis classes and writing my papers. And, um, they were just the first people to like encourage that in me. But like my peers were the opposite. So Mm. in college, like in the Bible department, it was, there were jokes all the time about, you know, the women that go into the Bible department, they just want to get a youth minister husband. Like they're just Um, here to get an MRS degree and marry a youth minister. And like, that was just joked about all the time. And they would be like, oh, you're just a children's ministry major. You know, why do you need an exegesis class? Like that's not important. And I would, I just felt like I constantly kind of had to be like the best in order to be like, I belong here. You know, I'm just as worthy to be here as you are. And that was, like I said, completely coming from my peers, not coming from my professors. But when you're in that environment day in and day out, that's kind of how you start to feel. Yeah. And you're the only woman in class. So you go in Mm. and you look around and you're in a classroom full of men with a male professor. And it's just like, I really got to prove that I can do this, you know? Mm. So I did it, you know, (laughs) like I got my degree. So every year there were some awards the Bible department gave to seniors um, at graduation. And I got the like potential in Christian ministry award. And I was, yeah, um, I was really proud of myself because I was the first woman to ever get that award in 50 years of the college being open. You know, I was like given it in our graduation ceremony. Mm. Like I, I was like, I just am so happy, not because I wanted the award, but because I wanted other women to see that this was possible, you know? And that like they didn't have to just choose something else if they felt like they wanted to go into ministry yeah. they could mm-hmm. um and then after that so i got a job as a children's minister in tulsa and it was at a church of christ but one of the more progressive ones like okay. i've t- you know yeah. they're all separate like yeah um and i worked there for 2 years and that was as long it was a contract so i worked okay. there for 2 years and it was honestly a wonderful experience there were many women on staff so I didn't feel like I was the only one um I really felt like my voice was heard there and valued and that was actually the first time we were working with families and their children living in government housing and so I 
was really confronted with the reality of poverty in the Mm. U.S. for the first time. And like I said before, I was like, the church needs to be addressing this. Like the church needs to bring goodness and like healing to this in, in our world. And so I was very fulfilled and happy to be working there and like doing my job there. Um, but we really needed to be by family Mm. and we were away from all like both sides of my husband and my family. And so we decided to move to Wichita, um, cause this is where his family is from. So after working in Tulsa for a couple years, we moved up here and I was just like sad to leave that church. I was like my church home, yeah. you know, and I was like, we need to go visit and like find a church. Right. And I was like, but I know what I want. <laughs> like I want a place where I feel, um, loved and included and like mm-hmm. I belong. And we visited a bunch of places and we settled on this church of Christ up here. Um, And I told like people on staff from the very beginning that like, this is what I'm looking for. Like, will this church do this? Like, Mm -hmm. will they validate women? And are they at least going in that direction of like allowing some female participation in worship? And they said, yes, we are. Um, We're doing this. This is like an active push for us to get in that direction. Um, But looking back, it was very... It was all the right things I wanted to hear, yeah. but I didn't, I didn't necessarily see any evidence of that, but I trusted that they were telling me the truth mm-hmm. and that actually turned out not to be the truth. Yeah. Um, so at first it started out normal, like it was a larger church with about like 250 people, okay. which for the church of Christ is large. Yeah. Um, okay. And things were just what you would expect going into any church of Christ. Like there was no female participation in worship, but they had a woman on staff. Okay. And Besides I was, you or were you that woman? <laughs> I wasn't on staff yet. So, oh, okay. so at when first, we were checking it out. Yeah. We were checking okay. it out. We joined, there was a, a woman who was, her title was children's ministry director. Okay. And I was like, okay, you know, I guess that's better than nothing. nothing yeah. um, that's something, you know, um, because in a lot of churches, that wouldn't even be the case. Really? Okay. Yeah. Um, and so I was like still looking around for jobs and something came open at the church for an administrative assistant. And I was like, okay, let's do it. Like I mm-hmm. need a job. Like I just needed something to do, yeah. you know? And so I went on staff and immediately from the beginning, there was red flags Mm. like that. I really, I look back and I'm like, why didn't I notice this? Like I I noticed them, but why didn't I do something? Like, why did I, you always ask yourself, like, why did I stay so long? You know, but you weren't, you have to, like, I have to forgive myself for what I did back then. But anyways, um, and you're not the only one I've mm -hmm. literally had people on here saying the same thing because you're invested Mm -hmm. and you think, you know, you think that you're doing something for God and Mm -hmm. for the good of people. Yeah. And so that's why we're like red flag. It'll work itself out. Yeah. But sometimes enough's enough. Yeah. That is so true because I, I also want to set the stage that not only now was this my church where I went on Sundays to worship, 
but it was my livelihood. Yeah. And I was invested in that way. Mm-hmm. Also, we had just moved and I needed some stability for my family. So I was like, I was really invested yeah. in making it work, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and plus, like, I do think I had some like religious good girl tendencies of mm-hmm. like, I've got to keep the peace and like make it work okay, yeah. you know? Yeah. Which I just didn't want to rock the boat. Yeah. And so I went in just trying to like make it all okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I found out behind the scenes that there were already, you know, discussions about women and their role taking mm. place. And this goes back to what I said about the Church of Christ before, because they were arguing over calling the children's ministry director, like, should we call her a children's ministry director or should we call her a children's minister? Well, we don't find the term children's minister anywhere in the Bible. Like things like that. Like I can't find, they would say, you know, we can't find an example of a woman being called a minister anywhere in the Bible. And so it was like, because there wasn't a command, an example or a necessary inference, they would not call her a minister because Hmm. of her gender. Hmm. And even though it might be like, well, that's a ridiculous thing to argue about. That's like what they were arguing. We were, that's what we were arguing about. It wasn't even at the level of, well, should we allow in Mm. air quotes, a woman to pass communion? Should we allow a woman to say a prayer? Like it was still at the level of if they would even call a woman a minister. So I was like, wow, this is not where I thought it was. Mm. And then, um, one of the other ministers in the office, we were discussing, things and he started saying things like well a woman are just too emotional to make leadership decisions women are um let their emotions take over for them and because of that we can't trust what they say or what What? they do or the decisions they make sorry i keep interrupting you with all my sounds and grunts and groans it's painful to listen but i i understand that and it's like what would have happened if I or other women that I know had been in that kind of environment, like we might honestly be in a different place now, you know? And this was in 2019, just to give you an idea, not long ago ago at all, um, that this was being said in an office, in my Mm -hmm. place of work, in front of other ministers, and no one said anything. Mm -hmm. So not only was it like, okay, I have to go to work every day and hear this. But that was also a spiritual place. And I knew that the other people around me weren't going to say anything about it. Like say, Mm. oh, this is wrong, you know? So I just felt very isolated. And it continued, like comments like that being made, it continued. And I think that's what really set off what I would call my deconstruction phase. Okay, yeah. We got to that phase because I just wanted to know, like, I think there's something very strong in you that will tell you when you're being mistreated. Mm. And it was like telling me, this is not right, Amanda. Like the Mm. way that you're being treated and other women are being treated is not right. But all of like the social and religious conditioning my entire life was telling me that this is what God wanted. Yeah. Like God doesn't want women in leadership roles. God doesn't 
this would be evil. Like this wouldn't be right, you know, but inside of me was like, no, like this isn't right, you know? Mm. And so I started making just lists of books to read about this topic. Like I need answers about this because Mm -hmm. I, like I said, I was heavily invested. This was my work. This was my church. If I turned my back on it, not only would I be losing my livelihood, but I would be losing my entire church community. And that was extremely scary. Like, so I would say that that stage of like questioning and reading and trying to find all the answers lasted for like a year and a half before I was like, I can't stay here anymore. And I, I have some really good books I read. One of them is called out of sorts by Sarah Bessie. And she writes about like how to make sense of like a changing faith. And it's still from a very faithful perspective. Um, but it's her experience of losing and like rediscovering her faith when she had big questions that just couldn't be answered. Like in a trite way, like in a, well, this is, you know, the answer for you. Okay, cool. You know? And I really enjoyed reading that book because it made me feel less alone because Mm. at the time I didn't know that my sister was having the same questions. Like I didn't know really anyone else that was dealing with the same stuff as I was. So that's why I turned so heavily to books because I was like, I need to not feel like I'm the only one going through this. Yeah. Yeah. And then the other one is called a woman called. And it's actually written from a Church of Christ perspective about women in ministry. And I found that really helpful because since there's so much backstory and like baggage to the Church of Christ, I feel like you need to know like theologically. Sometimes the other books written about women in ministry doesn't, like it's not from the same perspective. And so it was really helpful to find a book that was like written from the church of Christ perspective about women in ministry. So especially because at this point mm. you were still hoping to give them the benefit of the doubt, right? Right. So yeah, that's, that's interesting. I think a lot of people don't know where to turn when they're starting these questions because it's like a lot of the loudest voices Mm -hmm. are people who have completely separated or, you know, so anyway, I think that's a, interesting point and it's interesting that even now having left your job I don't want to mm-hmm. give too many spoilers in our mm-hmm. story but you still think that was a helpful resource yeah along your journey so yeah absolutely. that's good to know and we will definitely link those in the show notes okay perfect people. yeah yeah and I also want to say so that was like inside of me that's the work that was happening inside of me during yeah. that time on the outside I was very actively talking to my husband and like because he's my best friend Mm. and telling him about all this and of course he grew up from a church of christ perspective as well but his entire experience was much different you have to understand because as a man like anytime he wanted to be a leader in the church that was celebrated yeah so it was like oh you want to serve communion amazing you want to say a prayer that's the best thing ever like you want to be a a youth minister do it like And so from his perspective, all I needed to do was ask. Hmm. And so he would be like, well, have you asked the elders to serve communion? Have you asked them if you can lead a a class or something? And to me, I was like, I already know what the answer is going to be. So I hadn't asked them yet. But to him, it was like, and this isn't bad on him at all, but it was like, well, if you haven't asked, you don't know what the answer is. 
So I started asking and the answer was pretty much what I expected. Um, I was asked to lead a, like a youth class on eating disorders, which is something I have like a Christian parents response to eating disorders. It was a class that they were having. And, um, it's something I've done like a lot of research on. And I was like, yes, I can lead this. Well, like, Two days before I was supposed to lead this class, the elders said, we're considering that in order for you to have male leadership in the room, you need to have your husband sit by you while you give this class. Else mm. it won't be, I don't remember the terminology yeah. they use, but it, w- it would have the appearance of evil. Interesting. So I was livid because yeah. I was like, I know what I'm talking about. I've done all this work and all this research to prep this class. But the fact that I'm not a man, I have to have a man standing by me Hmm. just to know that a man has like signed off on what I'm going to say. I said, I will not lead this class if that's what you decide. So I pushed back on that and the elders said, okay, well, we're going to have a man lead a prayer before you start the class so that everyone in the class knows that a man has like authority authority yes a man has like you're under a man's authority and I was like too tired to push back on that I was like fine fine I'm just gonna give this class but I'm never doing it again yeah and that was one instance the other instance is that I asked the elders if they would please consider not just if I could do it, but will they just consider me serving communion? Mm-hmm. Um, this is another role in Church of Christ worship that no woman I've ever seen in my entire life of mm-hmm. going to a Church of Christ. I've never seen a woman pass the communion plate. Interesting. But like I've had, like I've told you, I've had this deep desire in my heart to do it ever since I was a little girl like watching those boys like do it with their dads. And I was like, I just want to know what it feels like. And Mm. in the office, like I was hearing every week how hard it was to get people to come in and volunteer. So I was like, I know they need people. They need people to do this. And there are women out there that come every single week, including me. And why can't we just pass a plate? We're not saying anything. We're not leading anything. We're just standing in the aisles, like serving communion and they told me no they Hmm. said we're not ready for that and they said we don't feel like people would be comfortable with that Hmm. and the way that i felt was and this is my opinion so i don't know if this is what led to that decision i just want to give that disclaimer but i knew that there were some people in church that were very wealthy were very powerful that gave a lot to the church Mm -hmm. who would probably leave if a woman did that and I was like I'm in my 20s like I just started my career I don't have any money I don't have any power my husband is a teacher like we we weren't those people you know so I was like man I just feel like this is a a decision that's based in trying not to rock the boat and trying not to get powerful people with money to leave yeah and I just felt like I was begging for scraps. Mm. Like, please, like, see me. Like, 
there are, there are so many women in this church who want to be involved and like yeah. would love to volunteer for this. But the simple fact that we're not a man completely like disqualifies, disqualifies me. Yeah. The deacon in charge of like getting people to volunteer was complaining to my husband and I about how he couldn't get people to show up for, for serving communion. And I said, well, I can serve communion. And he said, over my dead body. Oh, wow. And I... Oh, that gave me a chill. And I've heard yeah. you say this before. Like, but every time that really... Yeah. That just is heartbreaking. And, mm, and I was standing that's right in front hear. of him, you know? Yeah. I was like, I don't even know what to say. Yeah. And I don't think Cody knew what to say either because yeah. he was standing there too. We didn't expect to have like that strong of a reaction. Yeah. But after that, I was just like, I don't know if I can try anymore. Yeah. You know, like I think at that point I was like one foot out because mm -hmm. everything in me was telling me you shouldn't have to fight this hard just to be seen and valued mm -hmm. on the other hand i was still like this is my whole background <laughs> like this yeah. is my this was my whole religious life like yeah. how can i just like give it up you mm -hmm. know and i didn't want to be a quitter yeah but um and it sounds like you loved a lot about it you yeah. know and you loved god yeah and and all that so it would be very difficult to disentangle mm -hmm. the bits right yeah. like what is good and what is not yeah. when it's all wrapped up like this yeah and I there's this one quote from Sarah Bessie that I talked about before that really speaks to me a lot um and it's that you know for the people that have deconstructed um you didn't get to this place because you were faithless mm. you got here because you were faithful and it's yeah. like, for me especially, I relate to that because I don't find, like, I know I'm not a perfect person, but I don't find in my motivation to be more involved in church, I don't think that that was an evil thing. It was actually me just trying to be more faithful, faithful and yeah. more in the church, like more yeah. involved, more um, like active, yeah. you know? So that was... I can't even say like how hurtful that was because I just was like, man, I've been trying for so many yeah. years. It was years at this point, you know, because it wasn't just at that church. It was in college. It was in high school. It was all the way down to when I was in elementary school or and saw this, you yeah. know? So I was just tired and I was trying to figure out what I would do with work. Like, what yeah. am I going to do? I knew it had become so hard for me to go to work every day because mm -hmm. it was just like hurt. It yeah. just hurt every day because yeah. I knew like, oh my gosh, like I don't know what I'm going to do, you yeah. know? So then at work, this is all entangled with my deconstruction, but at work, the minister who had made that comment about the women's emotions and leadership skills um, actually like sexually harassed me in mm. my workplace and it was just me and him in the office and he made some very inappropriate comments 
And right after it happened, I was just frozen. Yeah. I was like, oh my gosh, like, did that really happen? I'm just here by myself with him. I don't know what to do. And I texted Cody, my husband, right away. And I was like, this just happened. Like, what do I do? And Cody had actually just been in a sexual harassment training at work. And he was like, you have to report it right away. Like, this is not right. Because in the moment, like, I was like, maybe this isn't a big deal. Yeah. Like, you question yourself. (laughs) Yes, you do. You're like oh my gosh, like, did I really hear that right? Did that really just happen? Am I just taking this the wrong way? But Cody was like, you have to report this. This isn't okay. And so the rest of that day, I was just like in survival mode. And I got home and talked with Cody more about it. And he was like, either you are going to report it or I'm going to email the elders and report it. And just keep in mind, this church did not have any HR. So in the church, if you're reporting something, you're going to the elders about it. I got home and talked to Cody and then we wrote up an email together and sent it. And I got a response like almost immediately saying, we'll talk about this. Okay. And then, Seems then encouraging. yeah. Yeah. So I was like, okay, they're going to talk about it. They're going to address it. Had to go to work the next day, Oof. be around him. I was so uncomfortable and I just kept on thinking this isn't right that I'm going to my workplace and I have to be scared and like worried about what's going to happen. This isn't right. And that day I got a call in the office when the minister had sexually harassed me was in his office behind me with the door open Hmm. and it was one of the elders and they were like, Hey, we wanted to talk about your email last night. And you know, are you sure it wasn't just a joke? Mm. Like, I'm, I'm sure he was just joking. I know it was uncomfortable, but it's okay. Like, I just remember, honestly, I don't remember a lot of the conversation after that. I just remember him saying it was just a joke. Mm. And so I knew immediately that if this was going to be addressed, I was going to have to address it because yeah. they weren't going to stand up for me. So... I basically pulled the minister aside and I said, this wasn't okay with me. Please never talk like that around me again. And I'm, I'm like done. I didn't say like that, but like I did say this was completely inappropriate. Don't say that to me again. And then I started looking for different jobs. I'm (laughs) really impressed with you because looking back at my life, there's been times, not at church actually, but I have not had the the guts <laughs> to do that mm-hmm. and i think some of that is our christian upbringing mm-hmm. some of that's i think midwest yes politeness <laughs> you know but yeah. also like good for you and sorry mm-hmm. i mean like not that what is sorry coming from me you mm-hmm. need to hear sorry from other people but i'm just mourning with you that mm-hmm. it was not handled better mm-hmm. and that you had to try and defend yourself yeah so. and i i knew just in the middle of it, I was like, if I get emotional at all, he already thinks that women are too emotional emotional, and not logical. And so I was like, I just have to button it down and say very clearly, you know, what I think and that this wasn't okay with me and walk away. And I think that's been like the hardest part is in the church, the elders are not just like the spiritual 
end all beat all. But I really thought by telling them that this had happened to me, that they would keep me safe. Hmm. And it was like the realization of they weren't going to keep me safe. They were interested in keeping him safe Hmm. and his reputation intact. And so I had to keep myself safe. I was like, that's why I did it. Because I was like, I am the only one right now I can count on. Hmm. So I'm going to stand up for myself and I'm not going to put myself in this situation any longer than I have to. So I will say um, one of the fallout from that has just been not really feeling safe in church anymore. And so after that happened and I was able to find a different job and leave, um, leaving was actually really healing Hmm. because I was like, man, I finally feel safe again. Like I don't have to go every day into that environment where my body's telling me you're not safe. Oh man. And like, so I, I feel like a lot of maybe other people talk about like missing the community and missing the church and stuff. I don't as much as I thought I would Hmm. because it wasn't like helpful to me does that make like it wasn't a help to me like no one stood up for me no one cared you know and so it was more like oh a relief Hmm. of not having to go back anymore yeah and I think if you're talking about like where I am now yeah I'm definitely in a place where I don't think I'll ever go back to a church of Christ because everything in my body revolts Hmm. and like I don't know if I'll go back to a church because I'm still at the point where like I don't feel safe and I will say like therapy has been a huge help in all of this like I've been going for about a year because I've been able to tell my therapist all about what happened yeah. and hearing from her, like hearing from someone that was wrong, Yeah, that shouldn't have happened to you. Like they should have protected you. Yeah. Things like that from someone who was completely uninvolved with the whole yeah. situation has been so healing for me. And also she's reminded me that the door isn't completely shut, hmm. that I can, I can actually choose if I want to go back to church or not. Yeah. And it's really taken a lot of pressure off of me because she's reminded me like, it's not like you're up against a time limit here. Yeah. Like you can heal on your own pace. And if you feel like you want to go back, you can. Yeah. But also if you feel like you're not safe there for a while and you don't want to go back, that's okay too. That's so, really good, yeah. That's yeah. good to hear because mm-hmm. I think... Even me, not de- not really having, in some ways I've had extreme deconstruction, but it's mm-hmm. been very much a mental thing. Like mm-hmm. it never was about the church, but even that mm-hmm. I felt like, oh, is it wrong that I mm-hmm. be in a church now? Is that dishonest or mm-hmm. is it dishonest if I'm not? So that's probably from someone who's in the middle of it. I can, mm-hmm. I can sense how that would be reassuring to be like, you don't have to know. Yeah. You don't have to know right now. You don't have to know tomorrow. You know, you can spend time healing what is going on inside of you. Mm -hmm. So I think that's good for listeners who might be in the middle of not knowing what to do to hear. Yeah, absolutely. And especially with like the Church of Christ's emphasis on knowing Mm. and like 
reading the Bible literally and looking at it as like the rule book for your life. Yeah. Like knowing was such a big part. Yeah. Like I must believe a hundred percent. And so it's like, I knowing, well, knowing now yeah. <laughs> that I actually have freedom to be like, I don't actually know all the answers mm-hmm. and I don't know when I'm going to feel comfortable going to church again. Mm-hmm. I actually feel so much freedom in that because it's the opposite of yeah. my entire spiritual upbringing and yeah. like teaching. Um, and I think if I could tell anybody like in the beginning of this process of deconstruction is that it's like really scary and I know that it is. Um, and there are times when I still feel really scared that I'm like choosing the wrong thing Mm. or like if I die, like I'm going to go to hell or Mm. something like that. But that there is a lot of freedom on the other side and that you don't have pressure on like having to choose just the right thing, Yeah, you know? Um, so I'd say that's where I am now. Okay. Um, I'm still not going to church. And I just don't know if I will. (laughs) Yeah. When we talk about sexism in the church, sometimes I feel like I I don't know what to say. And I don't know how to talk about it. Because, you know, gratefully, you know, very fortunately, that wasn't my experience. Um, I was really affirmed in church. And I'm, I'm... thankful for that but I'm also very aware you know that was not everyone's experience um especially like hearing you and your story and it it just it makes me almost feel like sometimes I can relate more to Cody and this idea of like well just try or like just ask because in my experiences that has been met positively um but I don't think anymore that that's necessarily the norm you know and I guess the question that came to mind after listening to you tell your story is when you have a church that has the view that women are meant to be under male authority is that a view that necessarily leads to the mistreatment of women like it's bound to lead to that as in like your sexual harassment situation you know is there a connection there or is that just something that happens you know is that is that just something that's going to show up regardless of what is taught about women and authority and roles and maybe that's kind of hard to like tell in every well I specific situation but it is very hard because I want to leave room for different people to have different beliefs you know what I mean like I have some friends from college who are perfectly happy in Mm. a church where the view is more like complementarianism. Okay. Like where, you know, women and men have different roles and they're valued the same. Like that's the kind of thought process that that goes into that. Like women and men have different roles, but they're both viewed the same in God's eyes. Okay. They're very happy in that. And they they don't have any need to change that, I Mm -hmm. would say. So I do want to leave room for that because I don't really believe in like making someone change their ideas, right? But at the same time, I think that 
it can very easily become kind of a slippery slope mm. what, into more like my situation where women's voices aren't valued to the to the extent of not believing when there is an abusive thing that happens yeah. if that makes sense that's exactly what i'm talking yeah. about like how much of church outlook on women played into that situation when you were mm-hmm. alone with that person you know mm-hmm. in their office because i'm thinking of time times i've been in offices with people and that never would have happened but they were super affirming of women mm-hmm. in that place and i'm like is there a connection here did i just get lucky mm-hmm. But from what I'm hearing from you, I can see a slippery slope would be quickly able to develop with that kind of theology, I suppose. Yeah. And I think also the makeup of the elders is really important to talk about here because when the ultimate like power structure or like where all the decisions come from for a church, it really shapes the way that they view different groups of people. So Mm -hmm. if the board is made up of all white middle-aged men with business backgrounds, can you, I can see how it would be like, that would be their outlook on life. And they might not necessarily think about how a decision affects women in their church or like people that don't have traditional power in their church. So that's why I think it's so important to have like someone at the table that understand like different viewpoints when they can say if a decision will negatively impact like a whole group of people. Yeah. That's where I see like the, the power structure can be very important Yeah, because I really think that if there was a woman on or women in leadership in the church I was at, you know, maybe my voice would have been heard a little bit better. Like maybe they, would have had someone to backstop them and say, you know, this really wasn't just a joke. Like, here's why it's important to address yeah. these things. Yeah. So the outcome would have actually been much different for me. Yeah. Or if there were more women on staff there, then his jokes about, you know, women's leadership skills yeah. and emotions might have been addressed. Yeah. And that's what, I mean, anyone can call out those quote unquote yeah. jo- jokes but none of the men did. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So when it comes to thinking about women's roles in the church, um, where you've landed now potentially on what the Bible says about that is, is different than the Church of Christ um, taught, at least in how you were raised, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'd say that um, I believe more now that... Paul, especially when he was talking about women's roles, was talking about something that was cultural to the time. Um, Also, it was contextual to the churches that he was writing the letters to. There were things that were happening in those churches Mm -hmm. where women did need to be told, like certain women need to be told to talk to their husbands or like not Mm -hmm. create division. But in the Church of Christ, since the pattern... is so literal it means that those in power which were men were taking those verses and using them to preserve their power Hmm. using them to say this is why women can't have leadership roles this is why they can't have visible roles in worship and so that verse has been those verses have been used 
in a literal way, even while they do understand the cultural context. However, I think why it's so frustrating to me, especially since I've done exegesis classes and read the Bible and loved the Bible, is that I understand that there's also parts of the Bible that could be read literally that the Church of Christ doesn't care about. Hmm. And that I feel like a lot of Christians, if I can say, don't care about. Like in the Old Testament, especially um, when it's talked about stoning people and, you know, the very strict rules that there were. Yeah, they don't take that literally. Exactly. They say that was for a time and that's not Mm -hmm. now. Yeah. So why? So that was actually one of the questions that got me. Yeah. Like wondering, you know, why are some things in the Bible just for a time and a purpose? Mm. And why are some things in the Bible for all time and all purposes? You know, like who decides that? Hmm. And how does that impact literally generations of women? Um, It's impacted me so much because someone decided that, you know? Yeah. I haven't really encountered people besides you guys um, from the Church of Christ, but I, I have encountered people from churches with very similar theology. And, you know, they would say, no, we're not trying to discriminate. We just, we honor the Bible. We honor what it says above what culture says about rights even and about what's right and wrong. Uh, but why is that a dangerous thing? Well, I think it leads to eventually that a lot of people Mm -hmm. honestly esteem and worship the Bible as much as they esteem or worship God. Wow, girl. Amanda, thank you so much for sharing your story. Um, I think this is just a really important topic. And I think, you know, I can hear in the back of my mind my Christian friends um, thinking, you know, oh, I want to offer her this advice or like this um, encouragement or tell her about my church or, you know, and I want to end our talk with a question about deconstruction on a broad level. Um, As someone who's in it right now, what do you need from the church and what do you not need from the church to be supportive on your journey? Yeah, I think that listening is Mm. the thing that comes immediately to mind Um, because I know at least I, in my past, with people that have doubted or left the church or something, I definitely approached it like, well, let me fix this for you. Like, let let me assure you that I'm not like that or that my church isn't like that. Yeah. But I don't need that. You know, I really, I really think if it's a safe person and like I can tell my story and stuff, all I need is someone to just listen to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And even someone to just say, thank you for telling me that. Yeah. Like, I don't feel like I need Christian, professing Christians or people that go to church to like fix my issue or anything like that. But I would appreciate it if someone heard my story. I I don't want people to just think that it could never happen in their church. Yeah. Because I think that is honestly not the truth. And if you think it will never happen in your church, you're setting yourself up for a situation where it could happen and no one would care. Hmm. And 
I think you need to, I would ask for Christians to believe people that say, this is hurting me spiritually, Hmm. not tell them why that's wrong for them to feel that way, you know, because I've heard a lot of people say, well, it's not the church that hurt you. It's just other people. Yeah. But what I have heard my whole life is that the church is the people. Yeah. So the church taking some accountability and saying, this was wrong. And here's the ways that we're going to make sure that this never happens again, mm. at least within our four walls, yeah. you know? Yeah. So that's kind of a long-winded answer. No. But I'd also, sometimes I feel like I need an apology from especially the people that um, I was with at that one church. But I'm working on knowing that I'm okay even if I never get an apology. Yeah. And I I should not base my happiness or my worth or anything around like waiting for someone to say that they're sorry. Yeah. So while I wish that they would realize what happened and change it, I am also like not waiting for that. Yeah. Um, and I think also along with listening, um, and not trying to fix that also comes with like, honestly, I, I don't really want to be told about how great your church is right now. Yeah. Yeah. Like maybe that sounds bad, Yeah. but just like join me in being okay with the fact that I don't want to go to church right now. Like, because when someone is immediately like, well, come try this church, it makes me feel like I'm wrong. Hmm. And you know what? I'm, I might be like, I'm open to the thought hmm. that I might be wrong. However, at this time, like someone just to listen, like I said, yeah. understand, try and take my lessons and like apply it to their church. And then just like allow me to be where I am yeah. would be the best thing. Amanda, thank you so much for coming on here, for being brave and vulnerable and uh, letting us into your world for a little bit. I think it's it's really powerful and I really appreciate your time and your story. Thank you so much. As always, friends, be sure to check out our podcast show notes for a list of resources that are mentioned in today's episode. If this episode was meaningful to you, please consider supporting the show at patreon.com slash deconstructing the myth so that episodes like today's keep coming.